Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for November 11th, 2018. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Join me as always. Welcome, Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome, Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right, tonight it's just going to be the three of us because we figured we had plenty to talk about given the results of starting last Tuesday, but but really um, results that just keep coming in day after day um, because some races were so tight that, uh, you know, in some places the votes are still getting counted, um, if you will, including our home state of Georgia. So uh, I fear we start off just, you know, giving general thoughts about the night. I, I said, you know, right off the bat, you know, my biggest takeaway is is probably if you ask most Democrats what's the one thing you want, you won't control the House because you want to check on Donald Trump, and we got that. According to the latest calculation, uh, 538's projecting us to um, have a plus 38 in the House of Representatives, which is not just a majority, but but probably one of the bigger majorities Democrats have had in many years. Um, and so it was the biggest shift in seats, uh, I believe, since Watergate – uh, in 1974, if I'm reading that correctly or stating the way that is, maybe it's the biggest gain in Democratic seats, but uh, still a major jump. Um, Catherine, what were some of your big takeaways just nationally? Well, a hun- over 100 women were elected to Congress, uh, the most ever. We have the youngest uh, representative ever elected and a woman, the woman from um, New York whose name I can't remember – and then two Muslim women and two Native American women. So I think, you know, finally we're our, uh, our House of Representatives is starting to look a little bit more like our country. Just, just a little bit, but, you know, we're making progress in that way, and I, that I thought was very exciting. Yeah, and, and Catherine, I'm gonna, um, this seems like a place to bring this up. I saw on Deadspin's... Um, political arm or Gawk, what used to be Gawker's political arm, Splinter, they mentioned that, um, you know, the, the first Native American gover- governor got elected, the go- new governor oh, right, yeah. of Oklahoma, and he's a, he's a Republican. And so they were like, and they're a pretty left-leaning organization, honestly, but they said, you know, does he not get, you know, a lot of attention because he's Republican, even though he's the first Native American governor. Um, have you kind of noticed that he's been mentioned less? Yeah, I have noticed. I, I had forgot. I had heard that, but I had forgotten about it because I don't pay much yeah. attention and, to Republicans. So, <laughs> yeah, I just well, I mean, if you're talking in the context of first, so and you're talking context, of, yeah, because yeah. like in Iowa, they they're kind of like Georgia. They have elected very few females, and they've never elected a female governor, and they elected one Republican. But um, they kind of broke down that glass ceiling a little bit. Now, they had already broken down that glass ceiling in the Senate, again, with another female uh, Republican. But, um, you know, it's kind of some of those first every once in a while we'll be on the other side of the aisle, kind of like Tim Scott was in the past. Um, Tim, what are some of your takeaways? Well, uh, you know, on election night itself, we we were talking a lot, and I I was not all that happy, and I don't think a lot of Democrats were because early results didn't look that good. Uh, Abrams was falling behind here. Uh, Bredesen lost early. Donnelly lost up in Indiana early, you know, et cetera. But as the night wore on and it became apparent that we were going to win the House, and as numbers came in which tightened the races, it looked not so bleak. Now, you know who I've got to give kudos here to? You know who called the House like an hour and a half before anyone else did? Fox News. 
They called the House for the Democrats before any other networks. I'm going to go ahead and give them kudos for that. They were already sitting there for an hour and a half talking about the implications of the Democrats taking over the House before the next network, which is, I think, finally CBS uh, called it. So, um, you, you know, also counting since Tuesday. Uh, has been important for us, and this convinced me that perhaps that blue wave really did happen. We we still have a few, you know, more races to finish counting, but you mentioned we're on pace to win the most House uh, seats since the, the the Democrats have won since 1974. Our voter turnout was the highest since the 1960s. It was up by like 24 million. Are, are are up by uh yeah 24 million voters over 2014 uh you we also uh, I'm happy to say that Democrats outvoted Republicans by over 7 million votes we had 13 states that actually had more votes than they did in the presidential election of 2016 and nine of those were red states that trended our way Every last state moved to the left a little in this election, except for Louisiana, for some reason. Uh, Latinos, they went from 8% of the vote up to 11% of the vote, and Democrats won them by 40 points. Um, The gender gap um, uh, that Catherine was talking about a little bit, it's up to 13% women voted heavily for Democrats. Uh, First-time voters, way up. College-educated white women swung heavily to the Democrats. I think we got a lot to be happy about, guys, don't you? I agree. I agree. Oh, yeah. Just, I, I mean, I think it, really – I think we're it, disappointed oh, ahead, because of Georgia. Georgia uh-huh. was a disappointment. So, I mean – and and so – Well, I think that I was think part of were, it. I think somebody made a good point in that – there were kind of three big stars that were built up on the Democratic side before the election. Beto O'Rourke, Stacey um, Abrams, and um, Andrew Gilliam. All three of them lost. Uh, now, of course, yeah. all three of them lost by a very thin margin. And, of course, in this case, there's well, that, a let, chance let, wait, that there just, could be a runoff. Yeah. Let's just be accurate. Well, Andrew Gilliam, it's Gilliam. And Stacey Abrams have not lost yet. Well, uh, yeah, well, because they, well, in the, I mean, they're they're behind, and and you know, it's kind of it, it was a letdown, and I think that's where that comes from. Yeah, it was uh, definitely but, but a letdown. But the house yeah. side of it wasn't, you know, these house people. A lot of people, a, a weren't expecting some of them to win, or b, um, they just weren't, you know, big exciting names, and therefore it, it didn't, you know, generate the same excitement if. One of those three individuals just just on election night would have you know been four points ahead and taken it home. Although in the bigger scheme of things, nationally, winning the house is far more important than any one of those races by themselves because Ooh. there needs to be a check on Donald Trump. If you agree with pretty much all Democrats and even some um, Republicans that that we've heard from here and there that are. Never Trumpers. Um, guys, maybe somebody kind of felt bad that we didn't have a guest, even though it was by design. We've got a caller from the 904. I'm going to do this again. We haven't done this in a while, but I'm going to put this caller on, and we'll see what we get. Um, caller, do you want to okay. uh, tell us who you, who you are? Hi. How you doing? How you doing? This is, this is, this is uh, Malcolm Cone from Florida, and I wanted to know um, with Stacey Abrams, um, okay, okay, here's my question. My question about her is, can she make this into a runoff? Because from what I'm seeing, she don't have enough to make it into a runoff so far. And the, the deadline to make it into a runoff is coming up pretty soon. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess we all might have different answers on this. If it were a traditional circumstance where all the votes had been turned in and everybody knew and agreed on the prescribed universe, uh, it would seem very unlikely. But we're learning that in Chatham County, there were, and that's Savannah, if people don't know the name of that county, which is one of the larger counties outside of Atlanta, 
they didn't turn in any mail-in ballots, which, I mean, somebody wait, in Chattanooga wait. County obviously mailed in ballots. Um, th- there's a lot of strange gotten, things going on that we got to go through. I have heard, I have heard differing um, information about Chatham County. You know, we saw that one that came back. I mean, there, it's obvious that that came back undeliverable. But I've also heard that there were mail-in ballots that were counted. So I don't think it's fit, safe to say that no mail-in ballots were counted in Chatham County, but it's certainly the, the, a fact that there's some problems in Chatham County. But you guys um, realize that in, you guys do realize Chatham County leans heavily right. I hope you you do know that, right? Well, Savannah proper is some is, is can be can be democratic sometimes. Oh. So it, but my, I guess my my concern is here's what <laughs> I'm I around it. It's nothing about it democratic. It, it's very okay. rare. You well, here's um, here's democratic. here are my <laughs> thoughts about this. Whether or not there's a path to a runoff or a recount or a straight-up win by, um, by Stacey Abrams, we should count every vote. So I think that the idea that we should make sure that all the votes are counted before, before, we decide, before a decision is made or a concession speech is, is read or, a, you know, or a, anyone claims to win, I think we should count every vote. And I think that should be an understanding in every state and thought a lot about this this week because we have so many examples of this. We've got Arizona, we've got um, Florida, Georgia. um, I think those are the main ones, but there may be some others. So I think we need to really think about how important it is for us to have all these results and um, concession speeches and acceptance speeches on election night if we're going to have these kind of counting problems. And now that more people are voting by mail and we have these provisional ballots and this early voting, we have a lot of, um, a lot of uh, uh, balls in the air, so to speak, that we need to make sure that stuff is right and all the votes are counted before we make these proclamations. That's what I've been thinking about this week. I know that's very difficult and the news media loves to have a winner and, all that stuff, but it really concerns me that we have these, you know, these uncounted votes. I just think if you voted, you should get your vote counted. Yeah, okay. well, and I think I'll, I'll I'll y'all, uh, a really hard, a long take. I think concessions are stupid, and I can give the long version later. But, Tim, you want to jump in? Yeah, caller, you, you ask a direct question. I'm going to try to give you a direct answer, but... It's purely speculation on my part, but it's from 50 years of politics in this state. As of today, Stacey Abrams is 58,765 votes behind as as the divisionals are being counted. And she's going to probably need to flip between 25 and 26,000 or pick pick that many up to force a runoff, and my best guess is she's not going to quite get there. Hello? That That's my Thank guess. Can, can anybody hear me? We can, yes. Oh, oh, because no. oh, I, I was trying to ask you, you said, she, you said she's 58,000 votes behind? Uh, she is 58,000, or 58,765 votes behind. She would need to pick up between 25 and 26,000 to force a runoff, and I don't think she's going to quite I was just on the website, and she's, she's, she's 68,000 votes behind, not 58. Okay, well, that's the latest info well, I have. So. That's why I'm saying I don't think it's called, the deadline is coming up. I, I just don't see how she can force a runoff. Well, um, but I do agree that every vote should be counted. Yeah, well, Malcolm, and talking about websites, it was real funny. On uh, Tuesday night, our were forth each other, and I was sitting there looking at results from the New York Times on Carolyn Burke's race the Georgia 7th District, and it showed that uh, she was winning, but she probably would lose because nothing had been counted in, in Forsyth County. Tim was looking on CNN, and it showed that she was ahead, and they were claiming she was the winner, and, and most everything had been counted. 
there was some kind of reporting error there. So sometimes there are going to be reporting errors um, that give you different numbers, and that's why everything's, I think, vague for a lot of people, and a lot of people are frustrated. While we got you on the uh, on the line from Florida, um, let's kind of jump into Florida for a second. I saw a report this past week, and I teach school, that a teacher went into their classroom, and there's a whole ballot, a whole box full of ballots, and it could have been for either candidate. We have no idea who, which way that ballot box leaned. But they just got left behind. And then another place in a sheriff station, there were some untabulated ballots. Um, how do voters in Florida feel about the fact that, you know, they're just ballots being left behind uncounted? Um, the, a lot of them, um, here's the good news, is that people on both the left and the right are pretty pissed off at Brenda Snipes the supervisor for the elections committee because she this this is not the first time something like this has happened under this woman's watch if you can recall in 2016 this is conspiratorial that's all I'm going to say there's no proof to what I'm going to say but mysteriously I guess I don't know if you guys know who Tim Canova is he was running against uh, Debbie uh, Washington Schultz and he lost significantly but for some odd reason, a bunch of ballots were missing in that race, too. And come to find out, she was destroying some ballots. So her friend, Debbie Washington Schultz, could take – there's no proof to it. But but but, um, but there was a court – or I mean, she was charged for destroying ballots. So everyone speculates that's how she won again, Debbie Washington Schultz, because of Brent, Brenda Snipes was destroying certain ballots down there in Broward County – and there's a fear that she's going to try to do that again, which is why, which is why they're moving the um, um, uh, the, the the election thing to an independent to an independent committee. Yeah, it, it's just it's just amazing that 18 years ago we had the same kind of questions about Florida, um, and in there it was different people probably involved completely, but the same state. And uh, it's just, you know, like I said, pretty frustrating that you just don't know what's going on uh, because of these voting issues. Well, Malcolm, I want to thank you for calling in um, and adding our discussion, particularly from Florida. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Malcolm. Thank you. Have a good evening. All right. All right. Oh, Malcolm from Florida calling in, a caller with legitimate knowledge and legitimate questions and, and not some of the stuff we've gotten from callers in the past. Uh, recently, um, decided to spin the wheel and take one, and it paid off. Thanks, Malcolm. Um, well, let's kind of we, we mentioned Florida. Let, let's kind of flip back to Georgia since Malcolm's uh, question was in Georgia. And um, every single race moved more Democratic. We actually have forced. I guess it looks like we're going to force for sure two runoffs: John Barrow in the Secretary of State's race, and he's running against. Brad Rathensberger, and I'll probably maul that name. And then in the PSC race, um, Lindy Miller and longtime incumbent Chuck Eaton are going to be in a runoff. And so that's two um, two races that you know will go into December. Now, Catherine, I have had so many races and seen so many races, worked some of these races that you get excited, they go into a runoff, and then we lose them. Uh, we've been losing these yeah. suckers since 1992, maybe even before that, before my time. Um, how or will this one be definitely different? Well, I think that there are a lot of excited voters, and hopefully they will um, still be paying attention and find time in their, amid their Christmas shopping and post-Thanksgiving uh, shopping and, you know, all the festivities around the holidays. We'll find time on December. Is it December fourth? I think it's December fourth. It's a Tuesday. Um, to, yeah, uh, and there's and and the the interesting thing, and I hope that the legislature does a fix to this, is that right now there's no requirement. There's a requirement to have early voting, but no um, specific time period. So they could have you know two days of early voting, or you know. However, and there's no requirement to have a Saturday, so um, I'm, I'm really hoping that someone takes that up in the legislature in 2019, so we can, because it would be good to have some 
consistency across um, all the counties in Georgia for early voting for runoffs. Don't I, I think? I mean, it seems like it would be uh, logical to have some consistency. Um, but you know, it's all it's going to be all about turnout. Obviously, there's not no need for any messaging. Probably, it's just going to be turnout, turnout, turnout. Um, and I'm hoping that the ground game that those candidates had and that the politic, that the Democratic Party of Georgia has will be able to turn right around and take care of things. Yeah, because Secretary of State's office, that controls elections, and that, you know, wouldn't be a bad one to hold. Plus, just really need to, even if it was the PSC race, and that's actually where the Republicans first broke through back in, I want to say, like 1990. Uh, I mean, long time ago, that's where they held their first statewide office, so maybe that's the same um, road to rebuilding. Um, Tim, your thoughts on these two going to a runoff? Oh, my. It would have been – we wouldn't have had to probably worry as much about turnout. The governor's race somehow would uh, go to a runoff. Right. Uh, I, I just uh, – I, I, I'm a little skeptical of our chances, I, uh, and that's based – wholly on past history we our voters just do not seem to vote in runoffs uh we just we just can't get them uh, you know excited and get them back to the polls uh i really really don't know how we're going to get them excited about going back to the polls when these are not two of your marquee races uh, probably a lot of people voted for Lindy Miller, and they couldn't remember her name right now. Uh, they certainly couldn't remember Eaton's name. And, and you know, people are just going to – maybe people have voter fatigue. I don't know. It's the holidays, a hundred reasons. But uh, our voters just don't seem to go back and vote. So I'm I'm not real hopeful. I'm I'm glad we forced runoffs in these races, but I, I hope I'm proved wrong. But I'm not real hopeful that we'll get them back out there. Yeah, I, it, it's I think it's one of those things you want to see us do it before you believe we can do it. Pretty um, much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got you got to show us. Um, one more note on Georgia, and that was one um, uh, finding I saw in a. Exit poll, and of course the exit polls. I get the idea that they're not, you know, they're not even. What was funny is we're suspect of the actual vote count. Both sides are, um, but then the exit polls. I don't think they're a hundred percent true, but you can still see some divides. And one was white women without a college education and white men without a college education. Eighty-four percent of um, white women without a college education voted Republican. Seventy-seven percent of white men without a college education voted Republican. Um, the the gender gap went the other way from voters with a college education or voters uh, that were non-white. Um, those voters were more Democratic if they were female. Um, Catherine, any idea why uh, not having a college education if you're a woman makes you more Republican in Georgia than it would be a man? I don't get it. I just don't get it. I, I just don't get it. I, I have no. All I can all I can do is roll my eyes and and think they made a mistake. <laughs> but obviously, it's not that. Well, I mean, because if you can close that seven point gap, I mean that seven point gap among you know I don't know how what percent of the electorate that is, but that that, that probably gets you your. You know, twenty-two thousand votes, or whatever you need to force a runoff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was a, an issue. Uh, I mean, you know, everything counts when it's this close. We could point to all kind of, you know, subgroups, but that was kind of one that really stuck out because it doesn't. It kind of defies logic. And if somebody could figure that out and figure out how to close that gap, not not make, you know, white women without a college degree, you know, you know, fifty-eight percent democratic. I mean, that's probably not realistic. If they're 16% Democratic, but if you could get them to 30% Democratic, you, you might be working with something. Um, Tim, any ideas? Before we, oh, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Catherine. jump in, and we'll get Tim. Well, I just wanna, I just before we go off Georgia, I just wanna give a shout out to Mary Robichaud, 
who beat Betty Price. So now Betty <laughs> Price and Tom Price can go off and re- enjoy their <laughs> retirement. <laughs> That's funny. I love it. <laughs> oh, anyway. Oh, no, that that was beautiful. Really, yeah. It really made me happy. You, you, you know, I, I, it, we do know where we need to work, don't we? And let me tell you how important this is going to be going forward. I mean, guys, the other night we gained seats in the state legislature and a couple in the state senate. Uh, we, yeah. we, uh, Karen Handel had to pack her bags. She's gone. Yeah. And that, and that, that's one year after we lost that sixth district in like devastating fashion. We came within one to six points of sweeping the statewide races. Think about that. No, none of our statewide yeah, I mean, candidates that- lost by more than like six points. Um, we, um. Uh, we, we forced runoffs, like you mentioned, David. We have made the Republicans this year fight for every last vote uh, in and this it, state with their time and their treasure, and that they needed that time and treasure elsewhere. Uh, yeah, and another and Carolyn thing. Bordeaux, Carolyn Bordeaux in, in um, House yeah. District 7, that is still up in the air. Like she's right. the last less, read, less she's than ahead. a thousand votes. Less right. than a thousand so, votes separate them. And if we don't get him this year, we're going to get him. I'm going to predict right now. He, he if they don't redraw his district to favor him, he is DOA right now. He may as well go to looking around for other sources of income because he's going to need one in November of 2020 if it doesn't happen this year. Uh, We are now a battleground state for 2020. Do you agree with that, David? Uh, We we talked about that. I think, and people national, uh, we're probably a battleground. We're losing you, David. Uh, sorry, I don't know what's going on, but I, I think we're more of a battleground than Ohio, um, and people have said that other places. Uh, Texas is probably more of a battleground than Ohio. Um, well, let's, we've kind of talked a little bit about Florida. Let's jump to Florida real quick and um, mention that. To me, you know, Bill Nelson, there's a chance he could still win, but I still get the gut feeling, had he campaigned like the race was going to be this close, Back in the spring, all the way through, he wouldn't even be in this situation. He'd be reelected to Congress. Um, Catherine, what do you think? You know, you know the interesting thing about that was, didn't we think that Nelson was going to be on the, was going to come in, sort of on the uh, wings of Gillum, and yep. actually, the opposite. I mean, Nelson ended up um, carrying more votes. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I think Nelson is not the savviest campaigner, I would say. Someone's phone is ringing. Um, so I think that that hurt him. Uh, but, well, I mean, they're still counting those votes too, right? I think they're still counting. They uh, are. There's still some... Uh, they may have stopped counting them, but he forced a recount. But he's got to find tens of thousands of votes in the recount. Yeah. But yeah, I think he, I think he didn't uh, campaign as well as his opponent. Yeah, and um, Tim, your thoughts on that? I mean, why did uh, why, why did Bill Nelson even get put in this position? Well, I, th- I think you're probably right. We talked earlier this year about, uh, you know, he needed to get up and get going. He wasn't campaigning. Uh, I-, I know that's the way he was used to doing, running a low-key campaign, but Scott was on television with all of his money, throwing it at him, and he was just hammering <clears throat> him day in, day out, mercilessly, and finally when Nelson saw that he had a problem, he started fighting back, and uh, looks like it might have been just a little bit 
too late, but, uh, you know, this Florida thing has been the wildest of all the races, hadn't it? I mean, uh, the, the the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows, and now we got lawsuits and uh, people screaming voter fraud and this and that and the other, and um, Broward County again, and uh, look how far these guys were down on election night. Gillum was behind by 76,000 votes. He conceded. Uh, Nelson was down by 51,000. Now Nelson's down by, like, 12,562 votes. Gillum is down by 33,593. Uh, you know, re- recounts have been triggered. Um Florida's a hard state to figure. We did pick up two yeah. house seats there, though. That We did that much. But Florida it, it is a tough nut to figure. And by the way, I'm looking at television now, and the numbers I quoted on the Abrams race earlier were correct to the vote, according to NBC, just saying. Yeah. And it is weird how you'll see different sources, particularly in the heat of the night. I mean, it's... You, you, you'll be looking one place, and it'll have one, and one will have another, and it's just you know yeah. so hard to keep up with with the different sources. Um, you know, it, it Florida just totally vexes me because all of these southern Sun Belt states—North Carolina, Virginia, Georgia, Texas—they're all moving more Democratic. Had mm-hmm. Florida moved at a quarter of the speed that say Virginia has from night to, uh, from uh, 2000 to today, it would be bluer than Virginia's today. It just makes no sense why it hadn't moved. Uh, I know retirees go there. T- Tim, tell it, you know, defend that theory of why Florida is still right where it was, you know, so many cycles it's, ago. It's very simple. Florida uh, is, is, is uh, of course, one of the very fastest-growing states in the country, uh, maybe like the third or fourth fastest-growing state in the country. They get like uh, uh, seven or 800 new uh, residents per week. And what you have happening in Florida is, uh, although there are a lot of minorities moving in from the Caribbean region and that sort of thing, uh, there are just as many new retirees coming from around the country, uh, and and basically they're negating each other out. So the the demographic shift is bumping up against each other and, and kind of meeting in the middle and uh, there you are. It, it, it's not moving a lot. It's moving ever, ever, ever so slowly toward us, obviously. But uh, Florida is going to be a pretty purple state for a pretty good while. Okay, Catherine, I'm going to add to that question before I ask it to you. Now, what we know is the more education a voter has, the more democratic they've become in the last cycle or two. One would think that those with with retirements with means, people that could choose to change states, and, and of course there's a lot of cities in Florida, uh, that there would be a higher education level today than there would have been in um, 2000. Uh, Why has that trend not changed things? Well, I just – I want to just uh, put a little reality check on this. And things have changed. We came really, really, really close, closer than we ha- than we usually do. So there are some changes. We didn't what, what, win, but we did. Came we get close. closer than Al Gore got. Al Gore was even by Republican count well, five hundred votes down. Than Al Gore, but this isn't a presidential race. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm. Yeah, that's what I'm comparing it to because this ha- this smack. You know, ballot boxes left in teachers' classrooms. This kind of nonsense, you know, people, Florida voters like Malcolm questioning why they're not counting votes. This is the same kind of nonsense we had 18 years ago. So that's why I'm comparing it to that because it's okay, Florida. But, but I thought you were asking about why it's not bluer. That's yes. different than well, why there's election complications. That's a different question. Well, that's what I'm saying. But, but no, I'm, I'm saying why is it not bluer? But that's why I'm comparing it to it. Just I'm comparing the 2000 race. 
to the 2018 okay, race. Well, I, the, and I, I know I one. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Because it's hard to compare. One of those other. I mean, I'd yeah. rather compare it well, to another, another midterm. I don't know. I can't remember what the results were in the last midterm in Florida. But I, I just, I feel like, you know, we are getting closer. We are doing the work. And it just, it's, it's taking longer in Florida. And I think part of the explanation for that is what Tim just said, is that the demographics are um, balancing each other out. So we have to try to reach those um, retirees who really should be voting for Democrats and um, make sure that the incoming uh, Puerto Ricans and uh, Mexicans and whomever or especially the Puerto Ricans since they're citizens already, um, are, are hearing from Democrats and that we're talking to them about the importance of voting and the importance of, of um, voting for Democrats. So, again, I think this well, is and, about – go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to let you finish your thought, and then we're going to move states, so go ahead. I think, it's, I, I think that a lot of what we're learning is that when we do this work, all the time, and we don't just talk to voters six weeks or four weeks or two weeks before the election, that we do make headway. So I think we just have to keep, doing, keep at it. And it's hard. It's, it's not easy work, but look how close Stacey Abrams has come compared to last time. And she's been working on the ground in various ways for over two years. So... I think that works. You know, David. Go ahead, Tim. I I, I just wanted to say I agree with Catherine. Stacey Abrams just showed us how to win this state. Yeah. She did it. She did it. I gotta I gotta give give it to her. She did it. She showed us how to do it. And now we got to get it done next time. Be it. The you know next election, which we don't, we have plenty of time to preview twenty twenty whether it's the electoral college votes or the senate race or it's the governor's race. You got to get it done next time. I still think they're going right. to find out that there's still places where there could be gains made outside of Metro Atlanta. I oh. looked at Ware County's results, and Ware County's results were like seventy percent of Republican. And if you know the demographics of Waycross with an African American mayor, and that's the that is the county of Ware, is, is the city of Waycross. Um, something, you know, there's more to push in places like that, out well outside of the city of Atlanta. Um, oh, but let's go in and go to Texas. Um, the, the, the state of Texas, if you want to talk about a state moving in a hurry, and it already started moving last time, even before Beto O'Rourke got on the ballot, which he um, really pushed it, you know, further than and faster than anybody I guess thought could be done. Um, he didn't win, but Texas was a state. I mean, when you start putting together, you know, the Democratic coalition, you put Florida, you put California down first. If you start putting the Republican coalition down, you put Texas first. And if they were to lose Texas, they just have no foundation. I mean, that's the keystone of their whole electoral map. And better O'Rourke you know, there's just two or three points from taking that away. And actually a lot of the races underneath moved too. Even a fairly popular yeah. governor, Greg Abbott, didn't win by a ton. Um, and, you know, he's a guy that actually has a fairly compelling story, which most Republican candidates actually lack. Um, Tim, why did, uh, you know, what's your thoughts on Texas? Well, well, you just got to say what a race uh, Beto O'Rourke uh, ran, one of the reddest states in the country. Uh, what's remaining to be seen is whether it was all about him. Is it this guy is the star and that's what did it, the rock star thing? Uh, but we do know this. He did help in down-ballot races. Pete Sessions. Yes, he did. In the 32nd district, lost. We also flipped the 7th, and we got one district, Will Hurd, another longtime Republican congressman that we all love to hate, uh, is, is you know, kind of on life support. I think he's running about a about 1,000 votes 
maybe 1,200 votes uh, ahead, and, and his race has not been called, and looks like it's going to a recount. We haven't seen that sort of thing in Texas in a while. We haven't seen two- or three-point races in statewide races in a long while. And, uh, again, even though our candidate at the top of the ticket didn't prevail, I've got to be pretty happy with the results in that state. Yeah, Catherine, your thoughts on Texas? I agree with, with Tim. I think it remains to be seen whether it was Beto or just in ge- a, a general – Turn, but um, I think Beto, you know, he made a commitment in his concession speech that he would continue to work, that he wasn't going anywhere. So if it if if um, it is Beto and he continues to work, then that will help us in 2020 and beyond. So um, I, I think uh, we're we're in uh, we're in hopeful hopeful territory in Texas, which is you know. Yeah. And, Tim, I don't know about you, but in my lifetime, who would have thought? Yeah, really. Uh, By the way, guys, you know, I mentioned Will Hurd. You know where his congressional district is? Along the Rio Grande River. Southwest corner of Texas where Beto O'Rourke is from. Now, you think that didn't make a difference in that race? Yeah, that made it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't his actual congressional district because his is in the city of El Paso, and then right. all of that land. And then all, but all that area around it, all of that area yeah. around it is Herd's district. The media market. Yeah. Right. The, the same media market. Right. Um, yeah, and, and I think one thing, if you look at all those down-ballot races, or not down because the governor's race is really not down-ballot. Um, it's still, still high up there. But all those races statewide move towards Democrats, so – Yes, obviously, Beto O'Rourke helped, but, I, I mean, I, there's still that trend towards Democrats in the right. state of Texas. Once again, the exit polling numbers, one of the most fascinating numbers I saw, and it was close, but it showed that native Texans, by a slim majority, um, supported Beto O'Rourke over Ted Cruz, and move-ins to the state uh, supported Ted Cruz over Beto O'Rourke. So that's a case where move-in demographics – are not what Democrats are going to depend on. Uh, Native Texans changing their minds uh, um, uh, may be more in there. Or it could be that maybe uh, more Native Texans of color are uh, uh, make a bigger percentage. But that's what that exit poll said, Tim. Uh, yeah, but so there's something that skews it. Do you know what it is? Which candidate is the native of Texan, and which candidate is the move-in from Canada? Right. Yeah, you think that had something question. to do with it? Texans, like anybody else, they kind of like to vote for their own sometimes. Right. And you wonder and also, if that don't have a little something to do with it. And also, do you think that there are they? You know, people who have been in Texas have been dealing with um, Ted Cruz for how long and they didn't. They don't like him. He's mean. <laughs> yeah, and the newcomers. Yeah. And the newcomers have, have a, think, a shorter, a shorter um, exposure to him. I'm not. I, I don't know if that's the case, but. And, but I, and, I, I and Ted Cruz really is obviously point. a national figure. Yeah, that, that that is a known commodity. If you follow politics, even on a you know cursory scale, you're familiar with him, even if you're you're not from Texas. Um, he's one of those folks. Um, well, let's right. move to another state, and I want to get to probably uh, of all the results. If you talk about you know statewide and congressional elections, uh, a state out of nowhere that was really exciting to me was Kansas. And there's a state that it wasn't demographic change; it was changing the hearts and minds of voters. And to me, that's the heart of politics. You've got to change people's minds because that's a twofer. If they voted for them and now they vote for you, that's two instead of one, Um, and that's good math. And in Texas, they did that. Now, Chris Kovacs was the Republican nominee, very controversial. There was a third-party candidate in the race, but Democrats won that race, but they not only won that one. They won um, the easternmost congressional district in Kansas, and for a good bit of the night, they were leading the next most easternmost congressional district. 
they almost had two congressional pickups uh, in Kansas, which uh, and they well, they only got like like five congressional districts. Kind of blew my mind after we had you know heard so much about the book. What's the matter with Kansas, um, Tim? I guess what's right with Kansas now? Well, <laughs> Kovac had uh, a double-edged sword hitting him. You know, we've talked a lot about Sam Brownback and how he just nearly bankrupt the state, yeah. and he left office as one of the um, most hated governors in the country. So he had that millstone hanging around that his neck. If that wasn't enough for one, he hung one of his own around his neck by fooling around with Trump and this voter fraud nonsense and all, all of that stuff. And he kind of became the national figure in the race. And when people are voting in statewide races, sometimes they rebel against the person they perceive as the national figure because there's always a lot more trouble in people's minds with the national stuff than there is in their own backyard. Uh, couple that with the fact that Laura Kelly was a superior candidate. You know, we've talked about her some on here. And uh, she won by uh, four and a half points, a pretty easy win. Uh, we almost flipped the second district like you was talking about, and we did flip the third and by nearly ten points. So, man, we – Oh, let's put a state like that. You know, that might be an anomaly, and they may go right back to voting as Republican as they can in the presidential election. But uh, you know what, guys? I, that's right in the heartland of the country, right right up right. the middle of the country where the Republicans are among their most strongest, right in their backyard we hit them, didn't we, Catherine? That's right, and and it was exciting to watch it. Yep. Yeah, and and that's the kind of thing is is there are so many places around our country and so many places in a lot of these states that we've mentioned that are trending democratic that are never going to just naturally trend democratic because of you know shifting demographics. And so I think you, if you really want to help Democrats out across the country, you've got to have some kind of playbook to where they feel like they've got a chance. Like how would we flip this place when it seems like there's no other way? Like, for instance, the, the congressional district Tim and I live in. Now, obviously, this time, I don't think either one of us are very hopeful because we had a very, very flawed candidate. Um, but um, you got to have a, a reason to hope, and places like this were one of those. Uh, in Kansas, you know, winning, you know, those two big races um, there. Uh, another place, I don't know if it was on our list, but Iowa, um, all but one congress uh, person is now Democratic, and that one person is yeah. Steve King, which I think he may be the top of the target list uh, for Democrats. Now, their governorship you know, is Republican. It was an incredibly close race, another one of those two- or three-point races that were just all over the country. Um, but I guess it was at least two uh, congressional districts flipped in Iowa, and that's a state that went from Barack Obama to Donald Trump. Um, Catherine, what uh, thoughts on those Iowa races? That was also really exciting, but I just want to say something uh, before we move away from Kobach. I, I yes. just have been thinking about this all week. So Donald Trump, when he was running for president, he said he was going to drain the swamp. Well, we did it. <laughs> we, got rid of, we got rid of Sessions in Texas, Kobach, and Rohrbacher yeah. in California. So, um, you know, I just think we it's important to remember that not only did we win back Congress, we got rid of some really bad dudes, and that is also very satisfying. You know, David. Um, anyway, yeah. uh, Iowa. I would Hard say work? I would say I because we still have um, this guy uh, Steve King. We still got that vaping guy right. that's under indictment in California. And we've got the guy under indictment in New York. So we still have a few of those swamp preachers that uh, oh, probably know, need but, to go. But, yeah. but we, uh, we did more than, than the president did. Yeah, really. Yeah, <laughs> he just well, keeps bringing in yeah. more swamp creatures. 
Yeah, he will. Um, we but, all yeah, know Iowa, that. Was Iowa Apollo. was amazing. Iowa was amazing. David. Yeah. Tim? We knew I, those I, people I were wanted to, 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 to run down south to a district that tickled me, and that was over there in the first district in South Carolina. You know, that's Mark Sanford's old district. And this uh, Sanford kind of had some bad things to say about Trump, so he backed, uh, what was her name, Katie Arrington, perhaps, was her name. Yes, she took Real pro-Trump, real hardcore, and she knocked off Sanford in the primary. Well, she proceeded to get herself beat the other night by a young man by the name of Joe Cunningham, a really good-looking candidate. And uh, while she whined and said, well, it was because of Mark Sanford and his supporters that I got beat, he just piped up and said, you know what, we, we ran because we had a strong message. And, the, and it resonated with the people. It was positive. And you know, that, that's one of my favorite flips from the other night and one of my favorite in-your-face Donald Trump moments of the other night. Yeah. Well, and, and Tim, that you make I, a good point there because if – Republicans then, you know, I'm all, you know, I'm pro-Trump all the way, and then they lose in the general election. That's yep. going to make them, uh, or, or other ones that are watching, maybe not Katie Arrington, but other ones watching, they're going to say, um, maybe I don't need to be so all in for Donald Trump, and they will be a check on him. So, so those yep. kind of races are pretty important uh, because it, it will, you know, kind of help those Republicans be who they really need to be. Um, we got just a few more minutes, so let's keep trying to fly through this thing. Arizona, they're still counting votes, although the trend seems very, very strong for um, Kristen Cinema, and she's ahead over Martha McSally. And that's once again, you know, Martha McSally, she didn't have to concede. It's her right, just like it is um, Bill Nelson and Stacey Abrams and Andrew Gilliam, uh, Gilliam to not concede. Um, and so, but there, there was they count more votes. Uh, you know, Congresswoman Cinema's lead expands, um, and that's going to be important, I think, moving forward. That if we win Arizona, and Nevada for 2020 and possibly even 2022, trying to win back the House. Your thoughts on Arizona, Catherine? Well, I'm just, you know, keep watching it. Like, let's, you know, we got to keep watching it. Count all the votes. Yeah. Yeah, um, uh, the craziest one there, though, did y'all hear about the um, polling place in Arizona that they went to open the polling place that morning, and the building had been foreclosed and was locked up, and they couldn't get access <laughs> to the polling place they had chosen? I thought that is some really, really bad mismanagement. Don't know if that's at the state level, if that's at the local level, but um, you know, on your checklist – Drive by and make sure you can access the polling places uh, say a week or two weeks beforehand. No, they were there the day. I think they were there the day before. The day before, and it was foreclosed. Still, still, not not really quite enough time to uh, to get it, you know, properly done. No, no. I mean, what I think man. they were there the day before, and it was available. I mean, it was. And really then it got quick. foreclosed. Yeah, yeah it, I, which, I, I, which is weird because you know we vote in firehouses and schools and churches, I mean, I think I'm trying to think of all the places, senior center, all the places I've voted have either been a government facility or a church, most likely not just going to close up by the, you know, uh, in the middle of the night. Um, but then I know some places apparently people are voting in, in laundromats. Um, I guess where you can put the ballot. I vote vote? in a, um, like, I vote in an event space. That's also like, a, um, I mean, they have church services there on Sundays, and they have parties there, and there's like a little cafe, but yeah. it's not a government building. We used to vote but in it's a not firehouse, a for profit. They, yeah, it's not a yeah, no, my, it's my a for parents profit. growing it's a for up, profit. they, they would vote in a firehouse. Building. Yeah, okay. We well, used just, to vote in a firehouse. Um, I don't uh, like Yeah, that, that, that was where my parents voted. I don't like voting in churches. Yeah. David, uh, well, you please. know what? Where you live right now, David, 
Uh, I used to live in that district in the late 70s and early 80s, and we voted in what they called the Armurchie Courthouse. Well, it was no more a courthouse (laughs) than I'm Franklin Roosevelt. It was just a little (laughs) white building that sat on a lot, and some guy said, yeah, you can use the building, and that was the only thing it was ever used for was to vote. (laughs) <laughs> so there's yeah, the Armurchie Courthouse. <laughs> yeah, it just, but I just thought that was so crazy that they got in foreclosed. It was uh, crazy. A crazy story there. Um, well, well, Tim, we got four minutes. And we didn't put it on the list, but I will be upset if we don't discuss it. Wisconsin. I, I don't think any uh, congressional seats flipped, and I know there was one we were looking forward to, although their congressman retired. Uh, rather than putting up with the punishment of Donald Trump for any longer, Paul Ryan. But their governor's race did. Uh, give us your thoughts on Scott Walker. Yes, uh, I know we say with heavy heart that we are <laughs> discussing the political demise tonight of Scott Walker, uh three-term governor who seemed to really, to us at least, be there for 20 terms. And the damage that bomb has done, uh, hopefully, is, is going to now start being undone, uh, especially yeah. with things like public unions and, and the things that he did to municipal workers and, and, and that sort of thing, because this guy was a real card. How the mighty have fallen from being yeah. a front runner to be president to being booted out of office two years later, how sweet it was. I'm going to give Catherine the last word on this because she's from from up, kind of up that way. Go get them, Catherine. <laughs> oh, that was that was a sweet a sweet victory. I know you, Tim, you and I both stayed up real late. Wait, oh wait, yes, <laughs> at three thirty, <laughs> just to and see then, him lose. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And um, the other the other good news about. Um, that part of the country is um, the new uh, governor of Michigan is great. Yep. Whitmer, yep. she's a great candidate. Yep. Um, we're I'm I'm really happy about that. I think she'll um, also undo some of the things the Republicans have done. So uh, I think we have we have a lot to be um, thankful for in Wisconsin and Michigan. Hey, David, don't you yep. think? We we really had a good night in the upper Midwest up there compared to say two years ago. Yes, it was a relief. Definitely so. Um, yeah, Ohio was kind of a, a, a you know there the governor's race wasn't as close as people thought. Now uh, Sheriff Brown won re-election, and he's really yep. popular considering that he is definitely let to the left of that state. But he apparently just. He says what he means and means what he says, and he connects with voters, and he didn't have a real tough time where some other red state Democrats did. Um, you know, I mean, Joe Manchin won, but then he won as the most conservative yep, yep, Democrat but, in dude, the country. Iowa. But then Sheriff Brown didn't have to move to the right and was able to win, whereas that didn't work in Missouri, North Dakota, or Indiana. Yeah, yeah, but look at all we picked up in Iowa. Yeah. And 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 up in Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania, uh, we can go flip them states in the presidential race. It's very, very, very doable considering what we saw the other night, right? Oh yes, well, and, we, it's, we and cannot, I think another point cannot, was made. Go ahead. We cannot sign off without noting that we have a runoff in Mississippi for yep. the Senate, which yep. is amazing and i think there's going to be a lot of attention paid to that and the runoff the the election is on the 27th right after thanksgiving which i was surprised by because i thought with federal runoffs they had to go later but there must be some different rule in mississippi yeah but each state well, probably does because of the jungle own. primary yeah the the everybody runs on one ballot and that probably kind of Mitigates what that election truly is Since they don't have a regular partisan primary But we're going to have some time To discuss Mississippi It would be great yeah. to get like a Robert Hooks on Or a um, uh, I'm forgetting his, uh, Another person we've had on from Mississippi 
and um, get them in and, and have them tell us more about that race because it, it but, is the only federal game in town. Uh, yeah, most before likely, we uh, go for the rest of this before year. Before we go, let our listeners remember. I'm sitting here looking. We've got ten house races. And the Florida Senate, the Florida Governor, the Georgia Governor, the Arizona Senate, and the Mississippi Senate, none of that is decided yet, folks. This election is not over yet. There's more to come. That's right. Yeah. I mean, but to be honest, I mean, if you were, if somebody would take bets and you could get either side on those races, uh, you could win some money because a lot of them, you know, like we were discussing the Arizona race is, is an example. There's a there's a decent shot that you know which way it's going to go. Um, well, guys, there was so much we didn't discuss, and if I'm not mistaken, this was the first show in probably over a year that we didn't have a dedicated Donald Trump segment. And obviously, we could have had one because he made plenty of news, uh, but we just <laughs> didn't get into that. So that was a, a quite a change. But I have a feeling we'll get into some of it's this kind stuff. Of refreshing. The repercussions next week. Good night, Good night guys. Good night, everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution with a strong and united America.